Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. So, Caroline, um, our title, our clever title for this episode, um, Did Cowgirls Get the Boot from History?, is a little riff on Tom Robbins' novel, Do Cowgirls Get the Blues? It's also a movie starring Uma Thurman. Just really long fingers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> movie. Yes. Actually, I thumbs. had to turn it off. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> Hitchhiking. That's right. Yeah. Blocked um, it out. And I gotta say, uh, I, I read, um, Do Cowgirls Get the Blues way back in, way back in college. <laughs> Cause I am 50. Um, I read that, and I gotta say, aside from that very, very fictional account of cowgirl life, I knew very little about them. I know very little, also. Yeah. I, um, I have a couple ancestors who made it out west. Um, I mostly know about the men, though. Yeah. There's not much about the women, and that's true for people who I'm not related to, also. <laughs> so we decided to take a stab at the history of cowgirls who were originally Known as cowboy women? Cow- yeah, mean? cowboy girls or cowboy women. Yeah. Some, you know, smart alecky journalists started calling them cowgirls. Cowgirls, come see the cowgirls hey. in the range. <laughs> um, so, uh, the thing is, th- it, it was kind of hard to track down a, a consistent or a concise, I should say, history of cowgirls because a lot of their work in the West was not documented. Right. And a lot of them were just dismissed as, you know, housewives and, Mm -hmm. you know, they were just sticking to the kitchen. Yeah. But we've got two ladies, one of whom you've probably heard of before, two ladies who disprove that theory. Yeah. Calamity Jane, Mm -hmm. born Martha Jane Canary, was one tough broad. Uh, The skills she developed out West eventually led her to touring with several Wild West shows, including Wild Bill Hickok's Wild West show. And she actually claimed to have married him, but I'm not so sure that's true. She was actually known for exaggerating all the stories about her life, so it's kind of sketchy. Hey, but it it was successful because we're talking about her now. Exactly. (laughs) What a girl. What a gal. (laughs) And she, um, in the 1870s, way back in the 1870s, remember, she worked as a writer for the Pony Express, which is pretty cool. She'd ride 50 miles between towns carrying satchels full of postal letters. Indeed. And at one point, she actually saved a stagecoach full of passengers from attacking Indians. Apparently, according according to legend, uh, the driver of the stagecoach had been killed and she diverted the stagecoach. She hopped on. She took the reins and she delivered those people to safety. That's right. That took gumption. That, d- that takes a lot of gumption. <laughs> uh, and then there was Cattle Kate, who was born Ellen Liddy Watson. And I think that Cattle Kate... <laughs> First of all, that's such a great nickname. But Cattle Kate really embodies this um kind of headstrong woman who is portrayed a lot in the in the Wild West. Right. Because imagine going out to this open frontier and I mean you gotta make it work. Yeah, she I mean she left her family behind. And even when she met a man that she fell in love with she did the Helena Bonham Carter, Tim Burton thing. And she was uh-huh. like, I don't want to live in the same house. I'm going to get my own homestead over here. <laughs> so, yeah, she she got her own place. She filed for a homestead. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the neighboring cattle ranchers didn't quite take to her. Yeah. 
she ended up arrested and hanged. Hanged for cattle? Yeah, but I mean, this is a woman who bought 30 head of cattle. Over the course of a year, grew that to about 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she got her own ranch hands. Yeah, did her own work. Don't mess with Cattle Kate. No. Well, unless you hang her. <laughs> yeah, then that's then kind of the end of Cattle that's Kate. Kind of, that's kind of it. But let us also note that around this time, uh, the year 1869, to be exact, Wyoming was the first state in the U.S. to grant women the vote. And this point came up a few times in our research on cowgirls, um, trying to sort of make this uh, claim that really these ranch women and cowgirls, cowboy women girls, um, <laughs> were the, yes. the first feminists. And the Wild West was a place, the Wild West was a place that really allowed um, some gender barriers to be broken down because you had to be out there working alongside the men. Although the author of the 1922 book called The Cowboy would disagree. <laughs> yeah, he goes ahead and puts it out there that women were not an impar- important part of the West yeah. because there were so few of them. And he said that uh, pretty much they stuck to the kitchen any time a guest came over. If another man came over besides their husband, they ran to the kitchen to cook dinner and clean up. Yeah. I also like how he acknowledges that women in the West could ride horses pretty well, but they lacked the vitality to, quote, sit a violent buck. Yeah, and then he just starts slamming the rodeo cowgirls of the day, saying that they were just, you know, dressing fancy. They weren't real cowgirls. Mm -mm. But but really, I mean, what does this guy know? Well, not much, especially if he talks, (laughs) not much at all, Um, especially if he talks to a woman, say, Fox Hastings, the red-headed feminine daredevil of the arena. Oh, snap. Oh, yes. And then there was also um, Ruby Roberts, who um, broke so many bones. Yeah, and <laughs> organs. She broke organs. If you can break them, she broke them. Yeah, with the with the rise of the rodeo, we have the golden age, actually, of the rodeo, which is from 1919 to 1929, and the author Mary Lou LeCompte, who wrote Cowgirls in the Rodeo, points out that at least 16 women participated in rodeos, Wild West shows, or both during the 1880s. I mean, so while we've got um, the early suffrage movement going on on the East Coast, in the West, we got Calamity Jane shooting, <laughs> shooting the pistols and... And women riding bareback, bucking broncos. <laughs> and I mean, these weren't even women who were actively trying to be feminists. They yeah. weren't. I mean, a lot of the, the cowgirls weren't actively, you know, out there pursuing the vote, picketing, right. carrying signs, all of these things. They just wanted to ride a horse. They, a lot of them were people who just went out west with their families, struck out on their own and, mm-hmm. you know, started riding horses. Started riding horses. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, uh, I think this is a great quote from Mabel Strickland, who was one of the early rodeo riders. And she says, I know you think I'm a paradox, but I belong in the saddle for I've been there since I was three. I love the open dogs, horses, guns, trees, flowers. Still, I love dresses and everything that goes with them. <laughs> you know, so they're like, and, and it was also interesting, um, to see how this cowgirl style Emerged, for instance, we have the first cowgirl, Vera McGinnis, to wear pants in the arena in 1925. And do you know what she made them out of? No. Little boy's flannel pants. Really? And she had a zipper on the side. She said she liked to click her heels, and I don't blame her. I do it at work sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, hopefully not while wearing children's clothes. 
or skirts. No, none of the above. Pants, pants. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a big deal when women started wearing the pants. They started wearing the, uh, the bloomers. And of course we have, uh, with the rise of rodeo and as it becomes more sponsored, the flash, it, uh, the, the shirts become more tasseled. The <laughs> sheen becomes a little more satiny. Bedazzled. A little if more you will. bedazzled. Yes. Um, but it's, you know, it's part of the whole cowgirl culture. Um, and we cannot do this podcast, Caroline, without mentioning Renee Hayfley Shelton. Oh, yeah. She was back in her day was called the world's greatest lady trick rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, she performed in an act with an Arabian horse named, wait for it, Lurleen. 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 Where, just like in the movie Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken, starring that woman and that horse and the guy who played Jake <laughs> yes. in 16 Candles, yes. uh, they would jump into a tank of water 50 feet below on it, Lurleen. It's my favorite fact because I watched <laughs> Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Every slumber party. Obsessively as a child. I was actually on cable not too long ago what's when your, I watched it again. What's your name, girl? Cordelia. <laughs> Oh man, I'm gonna to have to watch it again now. Um, yeah, so, so fact, all these, all these cool women trick riders. But then in the, uh, the late 1920s and early 1930s, we have these cowgirl contests that were really rough and tumble, sort of becoming more of just sort of frilly fashion spectacles, kind of. As, as things become more mainstream, rodeo becomes more mainstream and more Sponsored, like we mentioned before. Um, and Mary Lou Lecomte, who wrote Cowgirls in the Rodeo, points out that, um, it was a major, the sponsor contests were a major setback to women because it de-emphasized the athleticism. Right. Made it all about appearance. Yeah. Sadly, when the Rodeo Association of America was organized, they opposed cowgirl events. Right. And it didn't help that Bonnie McCarroll uh, was killed in 1929 because she couldn't free her feet from her stirrups. They were yeah. hobbled beneath the horse. And nobody really knew why she was doing it that way. She had ridden slick before that, which means that the stirrups were not hobbled. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of hobbling your <laughs> stirrups. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she ended up getting trampled to death. But even though Bonnie McCarroll's death in 1929 sparked opposition to women's contests and limited a lot of cowgirl competitions just to barrel racing and things like that, not the crazy trick stunts, it did not keep the cowgirls down. In the words of Fanny Sperry Steele, who I could be related to because I have some Steels in my family. Really? And yeah, I like to think I'm related to her based on this quote. You got She's- some cowgirl blood? Oh, you know it. <laughs> she said, sometimes it takes a lot of grit to do what you want to do, but I can't see how people can stand the monotony of doing work at which they are not happy. Rodeo teaches you that death is right around the corner and the now is all you have, so make the most of it. And then, of course, she gets a little dig in at non-cowgirls by saying, how can I explain to a dainty, delicate woman what it is like to climb down into a rodeo chute Onto the back of a wild horse. Fanny, dainty and delicate. Oh, hey. Come on. <laughs> Sassy. Uh, but then the cowgirls did finally get their due with the opening of the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame in Fort Worth, Texas. Which, fun fact, you know who was inducted into the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame? Tell me. Well, two people. I'll give you two. Georgia O'Keefe. Oh, Painter, yes. And Sandra Day O'Connor. 
Because apparently she I, grew up on a ranch. I had no idea. Yeah. Not technically. Neither of them were technically cowgirls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, still cool. I like to think that she perched up on a saddle while she was on the bench. Her, her robes flapping in the <laughs> in the western winds. Um, so if you're out in Fort Worth and you need something to do, check out the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame. Now, I will go ahead and acknowledge right now that there were so many prominent cowgirls that we did not talk about. Because despite the fact that there is not that much of a... It's, it can be hard, at least, to find a concise history of cowgirls and ranch women in the West and women's role in the West. Um, there are still so many of them out there, and especially prominent rodeo riders. So, if we left someone out, please, dear listeners, let us know with an email to momstuffathowstuffworks.com. Or, you can, of course, you can post it on Facebook. But we hope that you enjoyed this this ride, this gallop through. Gallop through history. Gallop through cowgirl history. Um, so, yeah, speaking of emails, why don't we, why don't we do a couple? Well, I have an email here from Claire, and this is in response to our episode on bikini waxing, which I should point out, which I did, I've done this on Facebook, but in case you haven't visited the Facebook page recently, we have a correction from that episode to make, and it is that we, Molly and I, continually referred to removing hair from the vagina. If you were waxing your vagina, that would be so painful yeah, because the vagina is actually the inner cavity, whereas we should have been referring to the vulva. Um, sorry to say vulva so creepily. <laughs> um, and Claire also wanted to point out that um, she said, I think you might have overlooked something in one of your statistics, that 16% of teens who had visited a spa had a hair removal procedure done. And she says, yes, it's disconcerting to think about adolescents removing their pubic hair. But in sharing that stat, you omitted the fact that eyebrow and lip waxing and threading are both spa hair removal procedures. I think most people would agree that the idea of a 15-year-old who waxes her eyebrows is less disturbing than that of one who waxes her vulva. Personally, I've been getting spa hair removal procedures for almost 10 years, and all of them have been quite far above the waistline. And she also wishes that we had talked about the jazzling. But that would have meant that I would have had to have said the jazzling. Again, mm. creepily. Oh, so many times. Ah, what is my problem? Uh, yeah. So, thank you for that email, Claire. Okay, we have an email from Spencer uh, in response to the Baby Names podcast. Mm-hmm. She said that she grew up with a unisex name, but one that seems to be more unconventional for a girl. She says, Spencer was the last name of my great-great-grandmother. In my experience, nearly everyone who has met me seems surprised upon hearing my name, thinking that Spencer most surely is a masculine name. A girly girl through and through, I used to not like my name when I was younger and always preferred my more feminine middle name, Catherine, instead. However, I learned to absolutely love my name. Even though I still loved Catherine, I would never change it. It made me laugh when I would continuously receive postcards from all-male colleges and envelopes addressed as Mr., I still get a little thrill out of seeing the surprise on people's faces when they meet me for the first time and see a tall young woman who wears pearls and high heels instead of the boy that they were expecting. (laughs) I think it has been really empowering to me to have a name that is unique. I hope girls with unisex or masculine-defined names will embrace their names and celebrate them as part of who they are. Here, here, Spencer. I think Spencer's a cool unisex name. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Well, um, again, if you have an email to send our way, the address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And, of course, you can head over to Facebook. Have fun over there. Lots to do. 
And you can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast is our handle. And then finally, during the week, you can read our blog. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?